Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Welcome to JBJS OrthoCore. Listen as members of the ortho community, residents, surgeons, educators, staff, and patients share their stories about the experiences and people most important in their lives and the lessons they learned along the way. OrthoCore is an audio archive inspired by StoryCorps and independently organized by the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Hello, this is Dr. Mark Swinkowski, JBJS Editor-in-Chief. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Joseph Zuckerman. I've asked Joe to talk with me about how Dr. Viktor Frankl impacted his personal and professional life. Dr. Frankl was the chair of orthopedic surgery at the University of Washington, where both Dr. Zuckerman and I did our residency. Dr. Frankl was an adult reconstructive surgeon and biomechanics researcher who was affiliated with the Hospital for Joint Diseases, where he served until 2018. He passed away on August 12, 2021. Before I get into asking Dr. Zuckerman, who is the, the chair at NYU Department of Orthopedic Surgery, a very large responsibility, but I want to let the audience know that both he and I uh, trained at the University of Washington, and we've been friends and colleagues for many, many decades. Uh, and we both were at the University of Washington when Dr. Victor Frankel was the chair of orthopedic surgery. But we recently lost Dr. Frankel, and I want to ask Dr. Zuckerman a few questions about his relationship. So can, can you just uh, tell me, when, when did you first meet uh, Victor Frankel? So I, I first met Victor Frankel probably when you first met him, which is when we interviewed for the residency program. And uh, that was a couple of years before you joined the residency. But for me, it was probably sometime in late 1977 or early 1978 when I interviewed. And Victor Frankel was the chair of the department there. And I walked into a room. It was a group interview. Uh, there were all these doctors were sitting around the table. And uh, you sat at the, at the other end of the table. And uh, back in those days, I don't know if you had to do the old sawbones thing, right? That was uh, always unique. But Victor was there. Right. That's when I first met him. Didn't know him before other than that he was the chair. And I remember he said to me, since when I was in, in medical school in Milwaukee, I worked with an orthopedic surgeon named Paul Jacobs on some research work. And he wrote me a letter of recommendation. And it turns out that Paul Jacobs trained at the Hospital for Joint Diseases and Victor Frankel was his senior resident. All right. So he said to me, you know, how do you know Paul Jacobs? Because you saw the letter. Right. And. You know, I, I explained it to him, and that was that. Little did I know that it would, it would, the Hospital for Joint Disease would play such a big role in my career later on. But that was it. And, and I had an affinity to, to Victor in part. Maybe it was more imagined than real because he was originally from the East Coast, brought up in Delaware, but he was in New York for a long time. And uh, he had a certain, uh, I don't know, uh, way about him that I always found in addition to being just fearful of him because he was the chair, right, that, that I liked, you know. So that was the first time. And then, you know, like you, I'm fortunate enough to, to match there. And he was the chair for the first, I think, uh, three years 
that I was uh, I was at the uh, in the residency program. Yeah, can can you just give us uh, the history of how your mentoring relationship started and what that's meant to you in your career? Well, uh, I'd be I'd be happy to because the role that uh, Victor Frankl has played in my career has, is frankly uh, profound. Right. So from the first three years of my residency, we obviously formed some relationship because after he went, he left University of Washington. He became the uh, chief of orthopedics and surgeon in chief at the hospital for joint diseases, which, frankly, I had never heard of at that point. And he kept in contact with me. I would see him at the meetings. All right. And then when I went to do my fellowship at the uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, he wanted me to come down and uh, talk to him about a job. And I did, you know, he basically, he, he wanted to recruit me to join what was, was the department that he was trying to build at the hospital, which up to that point had been mostly, almost exclusively voluntary faculty, but he was building a, a full-time academic group for the residency program and such. And, uh, and the, so that was 1984, right? And uh, that was a long time ago. And for the first, for the first, uh, uh, six years I was there. Victor was a tremendous mentor to me, and he had a certain style. Right? He would uh, he would come up with an idea, he would make the suggestion to you, and then if you asked him a question about it, he would say something like, uh, "So, for instance, he said to me uh, within a year after I got there." Uh, now, keep in mind, I did a, a fellowship in adult reconstructive surgery, you know, hip and knee replacement. I went to the Mayo Clinic to work with Bob Cofield to study shoulder surgery. And he said to me, Joe, I figured out what you should do. You should focus on hip fractures in old people. So I said to myself, what? I don't get it. I said, to, of course, I said to Victor, great idea. <laughs> so I'd said, I began to ask him a question. He says, listen, right, I want this to be like you know, I'm General Patton and you're the commander of the troops. I tell you land on the beach in Normandy and work your way all the way inland. You figure out the details. All right. And that's what he did. He came up with these ideas. But one thing he did, though, he provided you the support that you needed to get there, whether it be making sure people you knew you, that knew you had this responsibility back in those days, providing with resource, the ability to hire some people to support the effort. Right. And that's what he did. I mean, he made he made my career, and and I think there's a number of people in orthopedics that are through the years, many people that would say he made their career also, because that's what he believed. He believed if, you know, the old adage, you know, a high tide floats all, all ships, right? And that's what, he, that's what he tried to do. Yeah, we certainly saw great examples of him elevating the careers of the other faculty at the University of Washington, Dan Spangler, Ted Hansen, Bob Lindquist, on and on and on. Yeah, but, uh, absolutely. Yeah, maybe you could just briefly give the listening audience a a, a sense of the scope of what you now uh, oversee based on those beginnings that Dr. Frankel started. So, so Victor uh, came here uh, to be the, uh, the chief orthopedics at the Hospital for Joint Disease, which was a freestanding orthopedic hospital in New York City. And it was affiliated at that time with Mount Sinai School of Medicine, which was all the way uptown. We're on 17th Street. Mount Sinai is on 100th Street. And we, were, we worked with a hospital next door, which was part of Mount Sinai called Beth Israel Hospital. And Victor always said, 
this is not going to work out. We need to be part of NYU. And because he was friends with the chair at NYU, they essentially, uh, within a few years after I got here, they ended the relationship with Mount Sinai, and we became an academic affiliate of, uh, of NYU with, you know, some uh, interactions, rotations, academic appointments and such, all right? And then, but Victor always thought the plan was to be basically, you know, integrate with NYU and have, you know, a combined department. And so Victor, uh, I was the, uh, became the chair at the Hospital for Joint Diseases in 94, at the same time when the Hospital for Joint Diseases became a sponsored organization of NYU Medical Center, which was, you know, and this is during the time of certain hospitals, mergers and things like that. And, uh, and that started it. And the plan was to merge the two departments. Again, as just as Victor envisioned, although again, he had the big picture, the details had to be worked out. Right? And in 97, you know, after the chair at NYU had stepped down, they did a search. I was appointed the chair with the, with the intent of merging the two departments. Right. So we have a, uh, and we've been very successful in that, in that regard through the years. And now uh, it's one combined department. It's fairly extensive. We can, we merged two residency programs and we have more, and Victor's real dream was, well, what they'll do is they'll sell this building, which is on 17th Street, and they'll build a new hospital on the, the uh, right across from NYU, which is on 30th Street, right? Not that far away. Well, we didn't quite get that, but we have a lot of real estate up there that are, that are devoted to orthopedics. We still have the hospital here, but there's an orthopedic center on 38th Street. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost got exactly what he, what he envisioned. And uh, it's been... A, a tremendous ride that he saw in advance, right? He saw the potential, right? And then he laid the groundwork for us to realize that potential. Can you give maybe one other example of Dr. Frankel's style in perhaps teaching or in, in a conference? So, so, so Victor was, Victor was part of a, of a uh, era of orthopedic surgeons like Bill Enneking, you know, uh, Sherm Coleman, names like that, who, who were great friends of his, that, you know, they could kind of do everything, right? So, you know, typically, you know, you would see Victor, you go to the academy meeting, Victor would be out late with his friends. There'd probably be some alcohol involved. But at 6.30 in the morning, he would be there, right? Wherever he had to be, the instructional course lecturer, right? Doing everything he had to do. He had tremendous, tremendous stamina, even way, way later on. And what he would do is, uh, he was an ABC traveling fellow, right? He was an ABC traveling fellow in 1965 with Bill Enneking, I think Bill Harris, right? There were a number of people. And he loved that, right? And 25 years later, they, they re-established the tour, right? They went on another tour. It was abbreviated. It wasn't six weeks, but it was like two or three weeks traveling around to the different sites. And he loved that, right? And it, because it was it, it, it so identified with who he, who he was. Now, it, he would show some pictures of the, of the ABC traveling fellow 25 years later, and a number of them were sleeping in the front row in the audience. Right? But, but and then at, and even here, Victor, if he dozed off, you ask a question, he would immediately wake up and not only say something, but answer the question. 
right? Now, you know, that's that doesn't happen. That's the kind of that's the kind of uh, era that he belonged to, right? And his style was, right, he was incredibly supportive of the residents. When he first came here, it was the, fa- the uh, staff here, they liked the residents to watch what they did, right? Well, to support the residency program, he would post, you know, numbers of how many cases the, uh, the attendings let the residents do, right? To put pressure on people. And when I came here, after he had been here for a few years, and you'll appreciate this, Mark, he said to me, Joe, I want you to make this residency program like we had in Seattle, right? I want the same kind of residents. All right? I, want, I want them to you know, respond the same way. And he gave me the latitude to do that. And it was, you know, you had to change the culture, right? But he supported it and he did that. So he was a tremendous mentor to many. And, and he wouldn't, there was almost nothing he wouldn't do to, to, to help you or support you, right? Because he knew it just made the whole enterprise better. No doubt. I, I think you've really given the audience a great sense of perhaps what might be the most effective mentee-mentor relationship in the history of <laughs> academic orthopedics. I, I mean that in all sincerity. But how- well, so, so it's interesting because Victor, Victor stepped out as chair here when I became chair, right? And uh, that was 94. He stayed on as president of the hospital uh, for another five or six years and never was always available for advice and counsel, but never got in the way, never would always say, nope, you go talk to Joe about that. It was always like that. And even in, in retirement, right, when he ultimately, you know, was uh, mostly in New Jersey, right, and then he moved back to Seattle, he was, he would always call, always wanted to talk, right, and he always had ideas, right. One of my colleagues, Ken Eagle, now Victor died this past year, yeah. Uh, at the age of 95. I will guarantee you, at the age of 93, he was calling Ken Eagle with yet another idea for a research study, right? Okay, because he was always doing it. And we we actually interviewed Victor, Kenny did, right, for about two hours to put in our archives, you know, then having him talk. And this is about probably at the age of 94. And he did very well, you know, up until up until the end when he really had he deteriorated somewhat. So, you know, it's these are kind of things that you don't you don't get to document. But we made sure we documented it because, as you said, he was a tremendous, a tremendous mentor, always energetic, always wanted to know how you were doing. Right. Always had ideas. Right. And always told a great story about one way or about one thing or another. Right. He was just that kind of that kind of individual. And, and we miss him. We miss him. Fortunately, on his 90th birthday, he came back to our alumni meeting from Seattle and gave a lecture. Right. He, he stood up there and gave a lecture. You know, he showed his own films about when he was breaking bones in Sweden when he got his Ph.D. Right. It was it was absolutely great. Right. And then two years after that, he came back again and gave another lecture. But this time he was he was in a wheelchair at that point because he couldn't stand so much. But again, he did it. He was that kind of guy. Now, who? What ninety-two-year-old flies across the country, right, to give a, to give a lecture? Right. He came with his his daughter and his daughter-in-law because he wanted to do it. Right. Yeah, so that's great. Yep. Now, is there any other aspects that you think he would like to be remembered by or for? Well, I, I will tell you. I think uh, uh, Victor uh, Victor's uh, role in uh, orthopedic biomechanics was very important to him. All right? He was basically the first clinician 
to really focus on biomechanics. Yeah. He wrote that classic textbook with Albertson, who's an engineer. He got his PhD in biomechanics. So I always consider him the father of biomechanics. The other aspect of this is two other things. He had an interest in uh, uh, occupational injuries, which doesn't, it's not really a topic that most orthopedics, orthopedic surgeons focus on, but through his collaboration with Margareta Nordin, they established here the Occupational and Industrial Orthopedic Center, which we still have, is functioning, doing a lot of ergonomic work, injuries in the workplace. That was his idea. And then, you know, uh, Mark, you remember when we were North American traveling fellows and we listened for, for four weeks to uh, Drew Paley talk about the Elizarov, right? And we were so... Full, full of it by the time we got home. So I get back and Victor had just come back from Siberia where he visited Elizarov. And he says, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, right? And he goes back there and he learns how to do it. And if you would think of an operation that was antithetical to how Victor liked to operate with pin, this and that, it would be that operation. But then what he did was he brought a, a not only did he bring a, a Russian surgeon, you know, uh, to help with the whole thing. He brought a Lizarov here, right? He moved the Lizarov to New York and, uh, and he, he, he worked here, I mean, uh, unofficially, right? Because he didn't have a license and helped the whole program. And, but even more so than that, Lizarov had a daughter, a young daughter who went to medical school in Russia, right? She came here and Victor took her under his, under, under his wing and ultimately got her a residency in the rehabilitation medicine. So she's a, she's a physician in this country, right? I would say because of Viktor Frankl, because he felt committed to uh, Elizarov and his family. And that's the kind of person he was. Great and wonderful man. Real sense of style. And he made huge contributions in our field. Well, I, I very much appreciate you taking the time out of a very busy schedule, Joe, to uh, let the world know a little bit more about Viktor Frankl. But Mark, I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Because, you know, when we when we talk about Victor Frankl at our conferences now, when you ask people in the audience, you know, faculty and residents, they would know how many people, how many people have met Victor Frankl, you know, 10 hands go up. Right. And three years from now, three hands will go up. Right. And otherwise, and I congratulate you and JBJS for basically you know, documenting this, memorializing it, right? So people can have access to it. Uh, I think it's gonna be very meaningful for many years to come.